Alright then, similar to last week, we will go over what the scripture says about communion this week. Um, because that was part of the question, right? Baptism, communion, most every church looks at those two things as the two ordinances given to right, the church um, that we have to keep, right? Um, whereas they're not on the doctrinal statement of things that we keep, right? Uh, so what does the scripture say about this topic is what we're going to look at. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.16 says, The cup of blessing which we bless is it not the communion of the blood of Christ. The bread which we break is it not the communion of the body of Christ. And so you have this uh, ordinance that people call it, right? I call it the doctrine, the doctrine of communion, um, also known as the Lord's Supper. Right? What is this? What does the scripture say about this topic? Uh, well, the word communion only appears three times in your Bible. Right? Which is kind of interesting that people make a big deal about communion, and you only find it three times in your Bible. Um, and all three times is in Paul's epistles to the Corinthians, which is interesting. Uh, the first one is the one that we just read in 1 Corinthians 10.16, where he talks about uh, the cup of blessing which we bless is not the communion of the blood of Christ. The bread which you break is it not the communion of the body of Christ. If you look at 2 Corinthians 6.14, the second place that it's used is in 2 Corinthians 6.14, where he says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship have righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness. So he says here, um, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. You shouldn't be yoked with someone who's an unbeliever because there's going to be contention there. Right? You shouldn't have that communion, right? Because you're in Christ, they're not, right? You're righteous, they're unrighteous. Um, you're in the light, they're in the dark, right? And so this is usually applied to marriage, but I think you can apply it to a lot of things in life, right? If you're in a business with someone, you know, you probably have different values, want to do different things if they're not a Christian, right? If they're not a believer. Uh, so you have this uh, warning here for Paul to not be unequally yoked with unbelievers because... There's no communion with light and darkness, right? When the light comes on, the darkness leaves. Right? There's no communion there. They don't intermingle. And then the third place is in 2 Corinthians 13, 14. It says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. So here he says, The communion of the Holy Ghost. Right? So communion with the Holy Ghost, which we all have in the body of Christ, because you're sealed with the Spirit. You receive the Spirit once you are saved, right? Know ye not that you are the temple of God, the Holy Ghost dwells in you, right? And so if you're in the body of Christ, you have a communion uh, of the Holy Ghost. And so the point of this is that the word communion does not mean the Lord's Supper, right? It means communion, right? You have a common union. There's a union there of something in common. Right, is what that word means. It's like a fellowship. Right? Um, so it doesn't mean crackers and grape juice, right? Which is what people say. Do you practice communion? Oh yeah, I do. You know, I have communion with the Holy Ghost, right? It doesn't mean crackers and grape juice. It's not what that word means. Right. The reason people call it communion is because of that first Corinthians ten sixteen, where he talks about the cup and the bread, and talks about it being the communion of the blood and the communion of the body of Christ. Uh, the term communion, Lord's Supper, or Lord's Table is only found in Paul's epistles, right? which 
which is again interesting. Uh, 1016 is communion. Uh, 1021 is where you see the Lord's table where he says you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Right? So this is the only time you see that phrase, the Lord's table. Right? In a lot of churches when they have communion, they have a table up there right, that says in remembrance of me. Right? They would probably call that the Lord's table right? because it's the table that you do the communion on. Right? Um, but again, it's only one phrase found in the Bible that says the Lord's table. And then the Lord's Supper is in 1 Corinthians 11.20. The only time that phrase is found. Paul says, When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. So some might take that and say, Well, see there, Paul says, we shouldn't come together to eat the Lord's Supper. That's not what he's saying. He's saying when you come together, you're not eating the Lord's Supper. You should be eating the Lord's Supper. Okay, that's what he's saying there. Right? But when you do it, you're not eating the Lord's Supper. Because uh, he says, for in eating, everyone taketh before the other his own supper. So there's a contrast here between the Lord's Supper and your own supper. Right? Um, so this is the only time that you find that phrase, Lord's Supper, in the Bible. And so we'll look at that further later on. Uh, but it's interesting that Paul says the most about this topic. So if you're going to study communion or the Lord's Supper, you're going to have to get that from Paul. Right? Because you can't get it from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, if you go to Matthew 26, we'll just look at these. Matthew only has a few verses on the topic. Matthew 26, 26 through 29. It says, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And so um, he says, But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine, until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So that's all you have from Matthew on this subject. So the reason I want to go through this is just from the book of Matthew in those three verses, do you get that every church should observe this eating some bread and drinking a cup? because of this passage. No, right? It seems like a one-time event, and he doesn't say, make sure you do this often, right? And remember me, right? He doesn't say that here in Matthew. Um, it's also interesting that he says, he gave them the cup and said, drink ye all of it. Now, I've also wondered how much grape juice was left over after communion, right? Jesus said to drink all of it, right? Uh, so I think that's interesting, right? Do we... If this is something that's being instituted, do we really follow it, how the scripture teaches it? I have there Mark 22, but it's actually Mark 14, 22 through 25. Mark is pretty much the same as Matthew. It says, And as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed and broke it, and gave to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said unto them, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. Really, I say unto you, I will drink no more the fruit of the vine until that day that I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So here you have something a little different where he says, this is my blood of the New Testament. Right? In Matthew, I think he said, this is, he just said, this is my blood, drink you all of it. Right? Um, here he says, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. Um, so uh, that word many is important. 
because he's saying it's shed for Israel, right? You see that between the difference between Paul and the prophets and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They talk about uh, Christ's sacrifice says for many, right? Whereas Paul says he was a ransom for all, right? He died for all, which was part of that revelation of the mystery, right? That it is for all men, not just that he was a sacrifice for Israel. Luke 22, 15 through 22. So between the four Gospels, Luke says the most about the subject. He has seven verses on the topic. Verse 17, it says, He took the cup gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table, and truly the Son of Man goeth as it was determined. But woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. So here you have two cups. I don't know if you saw that. It says he took the cup and gave it. It said, divide it among yourselves. Then he broke the bread. And then it says, after supper, he took a second cup. Right. Likewise, also the cup after supper. And that's when he said, this is the cup uh, of the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. So again, not shed for all. It's shed for you. For you, my disciples. Right. Um, and then you have the blood in the New Testament. But you have two cups here. So maybe this whole time we've been doing it wrong. Maybe we should drink a cup and then do the bread and then drink another cup. Right? If you're going to say this passage is teaching what we should be doing, right? To follow the Lord's Supper and communion. Right? So you can kind of see what I'm trying to make here is people don't really go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to teach what we should do for communion. They go to Paul because he says the most about the subject. Um, so if you go to 1 Corinthians 10... 16 and 17. These are the passages that are usually used to teach on communion. In 1 Corinthians 10, 16 and 17, he says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. So from here, he didn't say the cup of blessing which Christ blessed. So it doesn't seem like he's necessarily referring back to what Christ did. Right? He says the cup of blessing which we bless is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? And the bread which we break is it not the communion of the body of Christ? And so we'll look at that further later. Right now I'm just giving you the passages. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.21 is where it talks about uh, the cup and the table. And then 1 Corinthians 11, 20 through 34 is the big passage that talks about the Lord's Supper. This is the one that is most often used. He says, When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. What, have you not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, when he had supped, saying, 
This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home. That you come not together unto condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. And so you have the teaching that comes out from this is that you're supposed to take these sacraments, eat this little bread, or some places they do an actual loaf, and you take off a, a chunk of it. And then you drink the grape juice or the wine. Some churches do actual wine, which I believe is probably more biblical than the grape juice. Uh, because uh, Paul says here, another is drunken. It's hard to get drunk off of grape juice. Um, and so what you have here from this passage is you can't eat it unworthily. So before you take of the sacraments, you have to examine yourself and make sure you have no sin in you. If you do, you have to confess to the Lord to forgive you. Um, if you're Catholic, you go to the priest, right, and confess to him before you do it. Um, because if you eat and you have something wrong in your life, you might get killed, right? That's basically the teaching here. Um, so from these four passages, you get a doctrine of something that we're supposed to do ever so often, right, of eating some bread and drinking a cup to show the Lord's death. And if you do it unworthily, you'll be judged. It's hard to get that from these passages, to be honest. Um, because it's really not clear, right? Especially in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, nowhere does it say, make sure you do this, right? I'm instituting something here. Paul doesn't say he's instituting something here. Um, he does say he received this of the Lord and he delivered it to the Corinthians, right? But he's addressing uh, an issue here in Corinth with this passage. Uh, it's also interesting that John doesn't mention it at all, but yet he writes the most about the night that Jesus was betrayed. It's very interesting, right? Um, John chapter 13 through 19, all six of those chapters is dealing with the night Jesus was betrayed, right? Dealing with that one day, right? Where he prays in the garden, uh, he eats with his uh, disciples, and talks more about what he says to Judas and the things Judas does, right? Which is very interesting. Paul also uses that statement here. He says, um, For I received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, Right, so that's interesting that the Bible talks more about Jesus' betrayal than this cup and bread. Right? So I just thought that was interesting that John doesn't even mention it. And so let's take a closer look at what's going on here. So what was happening in the upper room? What was happening in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Was Jesus instituting something new? The answer is yes and no. Look at Matthew 26, verse 17. It says, Now the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare for thee to eat the Passover? So what's going on here? It's the Feast of Unleavened Bread, right? It's the Feast of the Passover that the Jews were required to observe under the law. And the disciples say, Where do you want us to prepare the Passover meal for you? Okay? 
Um, Jesus said, Go into the city to such a man and say unto him, The master saith, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at thy house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had appointed them, and they made ready the Passover. Now when the even was come, he sat down with the twelve. And as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. And they were exceeding sorrowful, and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him, but woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? He said unto him, Thou hast said. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread. Okay, so what are they eating in verse 26, which is where people start usually when they're teaching on communion? They're eating the Passover, which you clearly see in uh, verse 17, right? They're observing a Jewish holiday, the Passover. Okay, that's what's happening here. The bread and cup that they're eating is part of that Passover feast that they had to observe. And so the same is true for Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you go to Luke, we'll look at what Luke says. I think Luke has a little more on this. Says, then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat. So you see here, he sends Peter and John, those were the disciples that he sent, to prepare the Passover. And they said unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare? He said unto them, Behold, when you entered into the city, there shall a man meet you, bearing a pitcher of water, follow him into the house where he entereth in. And he shall say unto the good man of the house, The master saith unto thee, where is the guest's chamber, where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he shall show you a large upper room, furnished there, make ready. So this is where you have the upper room, right? And they went and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. And when the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, with desire, I have desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Right? And so he's saying he will not anymore eat thereof of the Passover okay, until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Saying for the cup, he will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until the Passover is fulfilled. Right? And so that is what is going on. Right? He's fulfilling the Passover. Saying in John 13 verse 1, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father... Having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And the supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Right? And so that's all that it says about this event in John. Right? The supper ended. <laughs> that's all that he says. Jesus observed it and it ended. And then it goes into his betrayal and things that happened that night. So that's what is going on. And so they're observing the Passover. We need to go back to the Old Testament so that we understand what the Passover was. You go to Exodus 12, verse 1 through 21. It says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it, according to the number of the souls. Every man, according to his eating, shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. 
you shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the houses wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden it all with water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs, and with the pertinence thereof. And you shall let nothing of it remain till the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning you shall burn with fire. And thus shall you eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and you shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Seven days shall you eat unleavened bread. Even the first day you shall put away leaven out of your houses, for whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. In the first day there shall be an holy convocation, and in the seventh day there shall be an holy convocation to you. No manner of work shall be done in them, save that which every man must eat, that only may be done of you. And you shall observe the feast of the unleavened bread, for in this selfsame day have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore shall you observe this land in your generations by an ordinance forever. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month, at even, you shall eat unleavened bread until the one and twentieth day of the month, at even. Seven days shall there be no leaven found in your houses, for whosoever eateth that which is leavened, even that soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he be a stranger or born in the land. You shall eat nothing leavened, and all your habitations shall you eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel, and said unto them, Draw it out, and take you a lamb according to your families, and kill the Passover. And then he goes on to explain what they are to do. If you drop down to verse 43... It says, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. There shall no stranger eat thereof, but every man's servant that has bought for money, when thou hast circumcised him, then shall he eat thereof. A foreigner and a hired servant shall not eat thereof, and one house shall be eaten that shall not carry forth all of the flesh abroad out of the house. Neither shall you break a bone thereof. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when a stranger shall sojourn with thee, and will keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, and then let him come near and keep it. And he shall be as one that is born in the land, for no uncircumcised person shall eat thereof. One law shall be to him that is homeborn, and unto the stranger that sojourneth among you. Thus did all the children of Israel, as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so did they. And it came to pass the selfsame day that the Lord did bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their armies. So here you do have an ordinance that's being given. Right, And so if you say Paul is teaching the same thing that was happening with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then they were keeping the law. Well, I guess we're under the law, and we're supposed to keep the ordinance of the Passover. Um, that's what you're saying there, right? Uh, there's some other passages, like Leviticus 23, Numbers 9, that also go into detail on the Passover. In 2 Chronicles 30, it's interesting, Hezekiah, who was a righteous king, he had Israel keep the Passover in the second month, which, if you were paying attention there in Exodus 12, they were supposed to do it in the first month, on the 14th day. The reason he did it in the second month is because they hadn't observed it for years, because of all the unrighteous kings before. 
So Hezekiah was a righteous king, and he had the temple purified. He had the priests cleanse themselves with baptism, right, with washings. Um, and then they kept this Passover in the second month. Um, and you see this, it says in verse 1 of Second Chronicles 30, And Hezekiah sent to all Israels and Judah and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover unto the Lord God of Israel. For the king had taken counsel and his princes and all the congregation in Jerusalem to keep the Passover in the second month, for they could not keep it at that time. That time meaning the first month and the 14th day. Because the priests had not sanctified themselves sufficiently, neither had the people gathered themselves together to Jerusalem. So you can't have this feast if the priests aren't cleansed and if there aren't people there to have the feast, right? So he sends out letters to uh, the tribes and says, come to Jerusalem on the second month, 14th day. We're going to keep the Passover. And as you read down, some came, some didn't, right? Some said, they kind of laughed at it, like whatever Hezekiah, like we haven't done that in years, right? Um, and they actually get sick. And Hezekiah prays for them and intervenes. So it's an interesting story. But you see there, Hezekiah keeps it uh, and restores it, that feast of the Passover. It was acceptable to do it in the uh, second month. I believe it's Numbers 9 that I had there. Numbers 9, 1 through 14, it says, The Lord spake unto Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year, after they were come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Let the children of Israel also keep the Passover at his appointed season in the fourteenth day of this month. So it's the first month, fourteenth day. And even you shall keep it in his appointed season, according to all the rites of it, and according to all the ceremonies thereof shall you keep it. And Moses spake unto the children of Israel that they should keep the Passover. And they kept the Passover on the fourteenth day of the first month at even in the wilderness of Sinai, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. So did the children of Israel. And there were certain men who were defiled by the dead body of a man, that they could not keep the Passover on that day. And they came before Moses and before Aaron on that day, and those men said unto him, We are defiled by thy dead body of a man, may not, uh, that we may not offer an offering of the Lord in his appointed season among the children of Israel. And Moses said unto them, Stand still, and I will hear what the Lord will command concerning you. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speaking to the children of Israel, saying, If any man of you or of your posterity shall be unclean by reason of a dead body, or be in a journey afar off, you shall keep the Passover unto the Lord. The fourteenth day of the second month, at even, they shall keep it, and it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall leave none of it unto the morning, nor break any bone of it. According to all the ordinances of the Passover, they shall keep it. But the man that is clean and is not in a journey and forbeareth to keep the Passover, even the same soul shall be cut off from among his people because he brought not the offering of the Lord in his appointed season. That man shall bear his sin. So what you have here is if you're defiled by a dead body or if you're not in Jerusalem, which tells you the Passover is to be kept in Jerusalem, right, and you're off in a far country, it was acceptable to keep the Passover the second month, right, which is why Hezekiah did it in the second month because the priests were not cleansed. Right? So you had to be cleansed. You couldn't be defiled and keep the Passover. So these people come to Moses. They say, well, we can't uh, do an offering because we're unclean. Right? We had a dead man fall before us or a family member maybe. Right? So we're defiled by this dead body. We have to do our cleansing before we can offer the sacrifice. We're not able to do it. So Moses asks the Lord. The Lord says, if that's the case, they can do it the second month. Right? He says, but if there's someone not defiled and they don't keep the Passover, that person's going to get cut off. Right? Uh, so pretty strict teaching. Again, it's the law, right? 
what you have going on here. And so if you compare this, Exodus 12, um, to Paul, it's not our pattern today. Right? So it's hard to say that Paul was instituting what was happening with Jesus and his disciples in the upper room when it's clear that they were keeping this Passover in Exodus 12. Right? Exodus 12, 14, it says, And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and you shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Right? So again, you have this ordinance that they were supposed to keep. In verse 45, A foreigner and an hired servant shall not eat thereof. Well, that means Gentiles. Right? So even in the law itself, it says that we as Gentiles should keep this ordinance. Right? Um, and then verse 48, um, And when a stranger sojourn, sojourn with thee, and will keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, and then let him come near and keep it, and he shall be as one that is born in the land, for no uncircumcised person shall eat thereof. So if you were a Gentile and you wanted to keep the Passover, you had to be a proselyte Gentile, right, or proselyte Jew, which is a Gentile that converts to Judaism. Right? You had to be circumcised. You have to be cleansed. You have to be as a Jew, as one born in the land, to keep his Passover. But if you're just a Gentile that's like, oh, I'm going to keep the Passover with the Jews, and they say, okay, you got to convert to Judaism, you say, well, I don't want to do that. I just want to keep your Passover. They say you can't keep it, right, because a foreigner can't keep uh, the Passover. And so this is clearly not our pattern today. Romans 6.14, Paul says, we are not under the law, but under grace, right? This is an ordinance. This Passover is an ordinance given under the law. Look at Colossians 2.14. Paul talks about ordinances that were given under the law. And he says that Christ was blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. All right, so you can see that this ordinance of the Passover is contrary to Gentiles because it says they can't keep it, right, unless you convert to Judaism. Right? It's contrary to the Gentiles. Paul says that's been blotted out, right? Those ordinances that were contrary to us is blotted out, right? It's free to all. Salvation is free to all now is what Paul teaches. You don't have to keep these ordinances and these ceremonies any longer. In Colossians 3, 10 through 11, it says, Ye have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all in all. Right, the teaching today is you are all one in Christ. There is no Jew or Gentile. There is no bond or free. Right? There is no barbarian or Scythian. Um, Christ is all in all. We are all one in Christ. Right? Galatians 5.6 said there in Exodus 12.48 that if one wanted to keep the Passover, he had to be circumcised. Right? He had to convert to Judaism. Paul says in Galatians 5.6, for in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Right. So circumcision avails if you want to keep the Passover. Paul says in Jesus Christ, circumcision avails nothing. Right. So again, you see the differences here. Um, what's happening in Exodus 12 is not for us today. It's not our pattern. And in Galatians 6.15, he says the same thing. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. Right, and that new creature is this body of Christ, being one in Christ. That's what avails you, not circumcision. And so you can clearly see that the Passover is not our pattern today, and that's what the disciples and Jesus were doing. Right? They were keeping the Passover, which is clear 
and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, again, you have the two cups in Luke 22, 17, and 20, uh, where he took a cup before, then he breaks the bread, and then he takes the cup uh, after supper. And the point being here is that they were eating the Passover, which was a meal. Right? You can clearly see that in what is happening in the upper room, that they were eating a meal, they were keeping this Passover meal. And now I said Jesus was instituting something new. The new thing that he was instituting was the New Testament for Israel. Okay? You go to Matthew 26, 28. That's why he says, this is my blood shed for the New Testament. Matthew 26, 28, he says, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Same thing in Mark 14, 24 and Mark 22, 20. And so Jesus' blood it had to be shed for the New Testament. Isaiah 53 prophesied that Jesus would suffer right for Israel. Um, he would be bruised for their transgressions. Hebrews goes in detail on this new covenant, right? Um, Hebrews is all about a better covenant, right? The new covenant better than the old. If you start in Hebrews 8, verse 8, it says, For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them at the land of Egypt, because they continue not in my covenant, and I regard them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall teach, shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities, while I remember no more. And that he saith the new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. Right? So the new covenant, the Bible teaches clearly it was made with Israel and Judah because that's who the old covenant was made with. And so the new covenant replaces the old covenant with the people that the old covenant was made with. Right? Pretty simple. Right? I'll make a covenant with Adelaide and say, well, my new covenant is actually with mom. Right? That's not a new covenant. That's just a different covenant given to her. Right? If I give you a covenant and then I make a new covenant, it's got to replace the one that I made with the person I made it with for it to be a new covenant, right? Um, so very simple there, but people miss that, right? And so continuing on, if you read Hebrews 9 and 10, we won't read it all, but like Hebrews 9, 15, or verse, uh, actually start in verse 11, Hebrews 9, it said, But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and the calves, but by his own blood, he entered into once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. So again, you can see even here in Hebrews, it's for us. It's not for all. He retained eternal redemption for us, right? For us, Israel. Um, for the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of the heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctified to purify into the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is a force after men are dead, otherwise it is of no strength at all, 
while the testator lived. If whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood, for when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoyed unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. In almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood it is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in heaven should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once, from the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and to them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So there again, bear the sins of many. So what's clearly going on here is in the Old Covenant, Moses purified things with blood. Right? That's what the sacrifices did. Um, it said in verse uh, 14, How much more shall the blood of Christ... Uh, sorry, verse 13. The blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctified to the purifying of the flesh. He's not saying those sacrifices didn't make them purified. He said it did, right? The blood of bulls and goats, um, the spring of the unclean, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh. The point is how much more Christ's blood, right? The goats and bulls, they purified the flesh, right? Ritualistically, right? By their faith offering the sacrifice, God counted that as them purifying themselves by that blood. Um, but it was a shadow of Christ, right? And his blood purifying Israel. Right, him being the perfect sacrifice. Um, that's what it says in Hebrews 10.1, For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers there into perfect. Right? You had to come back and back and back. That was the problem with the blood of the goats and the bulls. It's not that it didn't work when you offered the sacrifice. It's just that it's good until next time. Right? Whereas Christ's blood is good forever. Right? He needs to sacrifice himself once because he is the perfect plan. His blood is perfect. Right? So that's what he's instituting there when he says, this cup that you've been drinking in the Passover for all your generations, this is my blood. Right? This is my blood that I'm going to sacrifice for you to be the perfect sacrifice for the New Testament. Okay? That's what he's teaching. That's what he's instituting there in the upper room. Um, so that's what's new is happening there. Right? As Christ is shedding his blood, of the New Testament. And he's saying that Passover, when you killed the sacrifice the first day of the Passover, I'm going to be that sacrifice, right? And I'm going to have the blood applied to you. That way you're forgiven by my blood, okay? Um, so Hebrews, you can read more. Hebrews 9, 10, 8, they cover this, right? He died once for all. Uh, his blood was perfect. It did what the goats and bulls, right, could not do. So that's what Jesus was instituting new there in uh, the upper room. Again, he had to fulfill uh, the law and the prophets in Luke 24, 44. It says, He saith unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Right? He said he had to fulfill all things written in the law of Moses and in the Psalms and in the prophets concerning him. And you can tie that to what we just read in Hebrews 10.1, where it says the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the converse there unto perfect. 
right? They were a shadow of things to come. The goats and bulls and sacrifices were a shadow of Christ's sacrifice, right? We read in Exodus 12, the land that they were supposed to take, it had to be without blemish, right? That's a shadow of Christ being the Son of God, perfect without blemish, right? Being the perfect sacrifice. And so you can make those connections there. And so that's what's new is happening there in the upper room. Uh, so we'll stop here. And so just to conclude, what's happening in the upper room is the Passover, very clearly. The Jews were commanded to keep the Passover every year in the first month on the 14th day. Uh, it was a feast for seven days. And if you ate leavened bread within those seven days, it says you would be cut off. Um, so again, we don't keep that. Right? We do the communion that one time, and then we go home and probably eat leavened bread because that little cracker doesn't fill us up. Right? And so we're not actually keeping what they were doing there in the upper room. Right? Um, so you can clearly see that. So they're keeping the Passover, which was commanded under the law, but Jesus is saying, this blood is a shadow of my blood that I'm going to shed for you tonight, right? Because he said, I'm not going to drink it again until this is fulfilled, which he was about to go do, right? Let's fulfill that shadow of his sacrifice, right? Um, and so we'll stop there for now. And we will continue at 11. But any thoughts?